This pace performance bite size features a 15 minute clip from Damien Harper from episode 359 and dives into deceleration, assessing it and improving it. But just before we do get into the bite size with Damien, Rock Daisy are a AMS on the east, based out of the east coast of the United States and they are sponsoring these bite size episodes. I've recently had a walkthrough of AMS Lite, which is the only free AMS on the market. You can create your own forms to collect RPEs, wellness, it does so much and would have been perfect for me as someone who worked in an academy setting with zero budget. So if you're looking for an AMS, cheap slash free, definitely check out Rock Daisy's AMS Lite. Deceleration, let's dive right in. Why is, Priya, a, a big question, but why is deceleration so important? Why should coaches be worried about deceleration? There's so much hype around speed, acceleration, top speed, but obviously in team sports, without being able to slow down and stop, it's, yeah, you're probably, strugg probably struggling. So why is deceleration so important? Yeah, I think just to give a bit of background, Rob, on that, in, in terms of what I'm talking about when we refer to deceleration, uh, it's it's horizontal deceleration. So in, in essence, what we're looking at is the opposite of horizontal acceleration. Uh, from, from, from a... From a purely Newtonian mechanical definition when we look at horizontal deceleration, what we're looking at is how quickly the athlete can reduce their speed with respect to time. So like acceleration uh, as being a sought after capability, we want with deceleration to try and improve the ability of the athlete to reduce their speed as quickly as possible. Um, now that's, that's, that's important from a movement outcome perspective or from a perspective of an athlete's uh, deceleration capacity. What that perhaps doesn't give is the interests of deceleration as a movement skill. And I think that's really important to have to understand that alongside that purely Newtonian mechanical definition that deceleration uh, is a highly complex interaction of the limbs to be able to ensure that the athlete can apply those braking forces effectively. Uh, and orientate those forces effectively. So when we look at deceleration uh, or horizontal deceleration ability, what I'm referring to is the ability of the athlete to be able to uh, decelerate um, with regards to the um, intentions of the task, whilst also being able to attenuate and distribute those forces throughout the lower limbs. So in essence, there's two key components when we look at deceleration. One. Uh, how well they can control the braking forces. And then the second key component is how well they can attenuate and distribute those forces throughout the lower limbs. So braking force control and braking force attenuation are kind of like the two key components that I look at there. Now, when we look at the importance of that in team sports, and particularly, uh, or particularly sports which have that intermittent nature, multi-directional demands, we, we definitely, um, we've definitely perhaps looked at the acceleration and top speed elements, largely looked at those, perhaps not considered as much the deceleration component and how, how that interacts with those uh, components. Um, I think it was perhaps, I think it was Bill Knowles actually who first came up with a mantra that you don't speed up what you can't slow down. In essence, that's just a, that's just a, an interpretation of Newton's laws of motion in that if we improve the speed of the athlete, 
in essence, we're increasing their momentum, which is their mass times their velocity. And the higher the momentum, the greater the uh, forces that are needed to be able to reduce that speed. So it becomes really important uh, because if an athlete hasn't got that deceleration ability, uh, alongside the acceleration and top speed capabilities, then they're going to take longer time and longer distance to slow down. Um, now, when we go back to that um, saying from Bill Knowles, it perhaps is more accurate to say an athlete will not speed up what they can't slow down, uh, rather than they don't speed up, because there's probably a self-regulatory mechanism there, which is uh, the athlete will reduce their speed um, knowing that they've got a deceleration uh, at the end of it. So they won't speed up what they can't slow down uh, to try and protect them from um, potential damage, potential tissue damage, uh, which could occur in deceleration, which cons which 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 cons consumes some of the uh, highest mechanical forces on the lower limbs. Uh, so I think it's um, that's really important, really massive importance for change of direction ability because um, we know that athletes who can decelerate more rapidly uh, can enhance their change of direction ability. So in essence, they can hold off the brakes for longer because they can reduce their speed over shorter distances and times. So they can access a greater percentage of their top speed potential uh, during the change of direction task. Um, so from an from, from a intermittent sport, which has lots and lots of change of directions, you know, that deceleration capacity becomes absolutely critical in terms of enhancing overall speed potential. Um, and yeah, I think the second big factor there, uh, when we look at change of direction, some really great work, which I think has come on the back of Tom DeSantos' work in change of direction, is that in addition to performance enhancement with change of direction, an individual who's got better deceleration ability can actually um, reduce the amount of mechanical load that's going to be exposed on the lower limbs during the final foot step or what we refer to as the plant step where we see all these ACL injuries we see all these you know potential lower limb injuries so two really important uh, things that I think particularly connected to change of direction performance with um, with, with with higher deceleration capacity that's really that's that's super interesting. I mean, it would seem quite intuitive that if you're unable to slow down and and, and change direction, or the the qualities aren't there to do that effectively, you wouldn't the body wouldn't accelerate knowing that that's the case. But when you put it like that, it it I suppose it, it enhances the importance of deceleration because it's affecting the whole system rather than just that deceleration point that we see and think of the end actually affecting the start as well yeah absolutely yeah. i think that you know the analogy that people will talk about is you wouldn't get in a supercar which has got amazing top speed capabilities um if you knew that the brakes were worn and not working very well you just you just would not use you would not put the accelerator down to its potential because you know that you know in in, in any set distance you're going to take longer to, to, to be able to break. The problem we've got there from a, a performance perspective is we, we talk about this, you know, this supercar analogy, but we, we, we 
we haven't really been able to, I think until recently, been able to get a good indication of an athlete's deceleration capacity. So therefore, we don't know how how that's interacting with their acceleration and top speed. We, we don't know how good the brakes are as such. Um, Which so, is a yeah. fantastic segue, Damien, into how we can actually test it. And how what's that journey been like for you and I suppose for others in how we actually um, go about understanding and then coming out with something that is, okay, we can use this as a test? Yeah, it's, I mean... One of the problems we've had with advancing deceleration is definitely linked to the difficulty in terms of how we measure that. It's much harder to measure than than, than your, your acceleration and top speed capabilities. But the, the good news is there's definitely, I think I can see more, more options now available for practitioners to apply on the field, which is great. Um, currently, in terms of measuring deceleration, it's done in two, two basically you've got two options. One, to measure it during a uh, change of direction task. Now that change of direction task needs to have, um, I would probably normally recommend uh, something like a 505 test, which requires the athlete in essence to bring their momentum to zero before changing direction. So there's a really big deceleration demand within a 505 test. The, the one's greater than 90 degrees, basically, where the athlete needs to be able to come uh, uh, to reduce their momentum right down to zero before they, they redirect the momentum or, or they re-accelerate. So the angles generally, you know, less than 60 degrees are no good. We're just looking at maintaining speed. So it's got to be those deceleration-related change of direction tasks that we, we look at. Um, and the other option, which is the one that I ended up looking at for my PhD, is a horizontal acceleration to deceleration um, in, a, in a linear path. There are, there are two options with that test. Uh, you could get the athlete to stop at a preset distance. So for example, that could be a 20 meter line where the athlete has to sprint and then come to a stop at that 20 meter line. The other option is to get them to decelerate at a preset distance or to commence deceleration at a preset distance. So that's what I ended up using for my PhD where the athlete sprints uh, a 20 meter distance and then at that 20 meter mark, they have to put on the brakes and, and try to stop as quickly as possible. Um, and and that's, that test we refer to as the uh, ADA test or the ADA test, acceleration deceleration ability. Now, uh, just summarize the two options there, but when I did my PhD, I probably spent about 12 months, I think, with my hands in my head a lot of the times, just making, you know, discussing ideas about how it can be done before we actually, you know, got to that method uh, and making a lot of mistakes as well and trying out different means of measurement um, to try and capture that deceleration because your next option then is, well, how do we measure? How do we measure the athlete's deceleration during those, those tasks? Um, I think Andreas Leefife will certainly, uh, who used to be one of my colleagues at York St. John, will certainly vouch for that because we spent many hours in, in the coffee shop in, in York discussing these options. Um, and yeah, probably around about 12 months, it took me to get to a point where actually we need to have instantaneous velocity throughout the task. Um, and that's where I 
uh, you know, basically just looked at some of the research which had been done in acceleration. Some of the more practical means of measuring using radar or using laser, uh, high-speed video, um, or some of the latest options now using electromotor devices like the 1080 Sprint, um, all which allow you to capture instantaneous velocity during a horizontal axle to decel or a change of direction task. And I think that is probably for me where you get you 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 need those methods to be able to accurately obtain the start of the deceleration phase, which is critical, and to get accurate deceleration measures. Um, and it still it surprises me today that we still only have very few studies uh, that have actually attempted to capture instantaneous velocity during a 505 task. Um, I think there's probably a handful, and, and I think Ma uh, sorry, less than a handful, a couple of studies. I think Martin Boucher was one uh, of the first people who attempted to try and capture instantaneous velocity during a change direction movement. Uh, and he used, I think he used two, two laser guns offset um, during a 45 and 90 degree task uh, to capture um, the first specific information during the change direction. Um, so yeah, I mean, the, the, the direct, I refer to them as the direct methods of, of measuring deceleration, uh, but there's also been a, some attempts to try and capture it using indirect methods, uh, such as the change of direction deficit and, and the deceleration deficit, um, but they're only uh, an estimation. Uh, we don't know at the minute whether they actually give you an indication of, a, of, of an athlete's deceleration capacity, which in, in essence is, is deceleration in meters per second squared. You know, how quickly they can change velocity with respect to time. So on the ADA test, Damien, you did 20 meters? Does it have to be 20 meters? Is that the sweet spot that you found? Can it be longer? Can it be shorter depending on, again, making it to demands of a, a game potentially or a, a sport? Yeah, that that can that can be amended to to any distance really, um, depending on the demands of that sport. And uh, the twenty meter distance we selected at the time was really just trying to cover um, a dip or selected distance, which allowed the athlete to get near to their maximal velocity. Um, so therefore, we we challenged their deceleration capacity. You know, the greater the speed that they're going to enter the, the deceleration, they're going to approach the deceleration, the greater the deceleration demands are going to be. So what we, we tried to do there was, was we just ensure that we, we captured um, maximal deceleration ability. But yeah, um, I think you, you, could, you could adapt that, absolutely uh, adapt that. And I know Phil Graham-Smith has done some work on that as well, um, using... Uh, a horizontal acceleration to deceleration and looked at the deceleration across different distances so 5, 10, 15 and 20 meters and look at how that how that differs in terms of the distance it takes athletes to stop um, so that's that's the measure of success Damien is the is the measure from that end of 20 meters until they're actually able to stop yeah, so you, you get a number of metrics in that. You, I mean, the main one that I've, I've, I've used now is obviously deceleration itself. Um, average deceleration, so that's, that's taking all the instantaneous velocity measures during that deceleration phase and, and getting an average of their deceleration values. 
But you can also look at uh, peak deceleration as well, which is just that single value, um, which I've tended to think isn't the best measure of an athlete's deceleration ability because it doesn't really account for the for the entire phase. And there's a, there's a possibility that athletes with high peak deceleration maybe um, may obtaining them high peak deceleration because they're not able to spread the deceleration across the entire deceleration phase. So therefore there's, there's high, high peak values occurring, particularly near the back end of the deceleration. If you want to check out the full episode with Damien Harper, it featured on number 359 of the Pacey Performance Podcast, which can be found at sportsmith.co.